to More Living with Jim Brogan, your source of information for living the best years of your life, your way. For more than a decade, host Jim Brogan and his expert guests have come together each week to share important news and advice that can impact the lives and well-being of those who are retired and those nearing retirement. Learn about issues like health and fitness, financial planning, social security benefits, investment advice, and more. And now, here's the host of More Living, Jim Brogan. Good morning, East Tennessee, and welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. You're listening to News Talk 98.7 WOKI, and I'm so excited about today's show. I'm honored to have a true American hero on the show today. Dan O'Shea is a combat veteran and a, and a former Navy SEAL commander with more than 25 years of leadership and special operations experience built upon multiple Middle East and Africa tours spanning more than two decades. Uh, I've met Dan recently in the last few years as he founded the Tampa Bay Frogman Swim, which started in 2010. It has raised over $3.6 million for the Navy SEAL Foundation, and we're going to have him with us in studio today, joining us from Tampa. Uh, Also here in studio with me have a very special friend, Eric Smith. Eric is my chief operating officer at Brogan Financial, and ironically, I met Eric through a couple of things centerpiece of which was the Tampa Bay Frogman Swim. Eric has lived in Tampa, recently moved to Knoxville to help take over my operations at Brogan Financial. Eric, good morning. Welcome to More Living. Good morning, Jim. Thanks for having me on. It's great to have you. And of course, we met largely through the Tampa Bay Frogman Swim. We sure did. We sure did. It was a pretty pretty neat experience and kind of unusual how that all happened. But we really want to focus today on the SEAL teams, and we've got a guy who's an American hero who's on the line with us. Good morning, Dan. Welcome to More Living. Good morning, gentlemen. Great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. Dan, let's kind of start off. So when did you join the SEAL teams? When did you go to BUDS training? Why don't we say it that way? Sure, sure. So my Navy journey started in 1987. Uh, I showed up at the Naval Academy to go through a thing called plebe summer, plebe year. Um, Ironically enough, uh, this is funny, this is pre-internet world and pre-Google and pre-books, if you will. Now every SEAL's written a book out there, but back in the day there weren't really any books and there certainly wasn't anywhere to research information. And I showed up in Annapolis and uh, plebe summer we took this physical fitness test called uh, the Iron, and I ended up being the Iron Plea for my company. Uh, And my, my my roommate asked me when he found out I swam and played water polo in high school and I could obviously do the PT, pull-ups, push-ups, whatnot. He said, hey, man, do you want to be a Navy SEAL? And I literally said, I go, what the hell is a Navy SEAL? You know, I had no idea. So my journey started at Annapolis. I joined the crew team and virtually everyone on the crew team wanted to be a Marine or a SEAL. And that's kind of led me down. You know, it wasn't just an overnight decision. It took a lot of, a lot of thought, a lot of working out and a lot of preparation. And so when I graduated in, in 1991 from Annapolis, I literally drove across the country, and 10 days after graduation, I, I started BUDS training, basic underwater demolition school. Yeah, tell, tell us a little bit. Why did you decide you wanted to do that, and how much did you really know about it? Um, obviously, there wasn't the kind of coverage of it then that there is now, but you know, being at the Naval Academy, I'd imagine you, you at least got a decent explanation, but can anybody really properly prepare you for something like that? 
Uh, no. I mean, you, 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 you can't read it about it. You can't Google it. Um, you can ask questions. You can meet people. But, you know, bottom line, my path was being on the crew team. I got up every morning at 445, went to the boathouse for an hour and a half before classes started, went back after school. I think I spent four hours a day, almost three hours, three and a half, four hours a day going back and forth to the crew house. So that mental discipline started with those early morning wake-up calls. I then my summer trainings, I went to Airborne. Um, I, I screened for pre-scuba. So I had these opportunities. And then I, I, my junior summer, I went through a thing called mini buds. And I got a taste of field training then. And, and even then, I didn't make the decision overnight. It was a tough one because the training is brutal and it's hard. And, and it, it was a challenge for me to think, well, can I, do I have what it takes mentally, ethically, morally to, to do what SEALs do overseas, which at the end of the day, SEALs do things downrange that, you know, will challenge, um, challenge you on a lot of levels. And it's, uh, and it's not just going into combat, that type of it, but the, 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 the things that are weighed at your feet, um, you know, it's not something you can just wake up one day and say, yeah, oh, I can do that. It is a path and it's like, it's like a quest and it's like, you know, the, the adage of, um, you know, how to eat an elephant one bite at a time. And that's kind of how the preparation for buds and seal training was. Um, I, I did a lot of self-inward thoughts. I did a physical preparation. And yet when I showed up in Coronado in 91, um, I knew I never looked back. I mean, people always say, well, did you ever, when did you think about quitting during buds or during hell week? And to be honest, certainly I had tough days. But once I got to buds, I had, I had, I had done my homework, and I was prepared, and, and I never looked back, and, and that's how I looked back after. I'm actually still in the reserves, if you can believe it. I'm, I'm actually uh, still in the reserves, probably only for a couple more, maybe less than a year. I'll probably be out, but, you know, it's a calling. Being a SEAL, going to Annapolis and serving your country, it's a calling that um, you, you feel like you uh, want to constantly give back, and uh, it, it's large part how the swim, which has grown beyond our expectations, and, uh, you know, why it's... Uh, it, it it just resonates with you because being a SEAL is about serving your country for you, – you never feel like you're out of, out of uniform, and you always feel like you, you want to serve this nation because I I have been around the world. I've been to 70-plus countries. I've been to a lot of, you know, war zones and conflict zones and third-world regions that, you know, you understand why America will always be to those of us, especially those of us who serve, that shining beacon on the hill because we have seen how the rest of the world lives and what they endure, and America is worth fighting for its principles. And uh, and I've been har- I'm I'm honored and humbled to uh, have had the opportunity to go serve and serve in the teams and and serve around the world. I I, I, I want to take I I do it all over again in a heartbeat to give the opportunity. You know that's interesting, Dan. The perspective that you get, uh, and nobody can unless they've done what you've done can share your perspective. But what I mean is the perspective when you go and visit other areas of the world. Uh, it really brings home the perspective of how great a place we live here. And I think a lot of times we lose sight of that. Would, can you comment on that a little bit? Oh, I, I could not agree with you more. It, it, you know, it breaks my heart. Uh, sometimes you read about perspectives today, especially for younger Americans, this generation coming up that, you know, if you would have told any of us, I assume you're probably, you know, I'm, I was born in 67, you're probably in my generation, Gen X, if you will. If you would have told us, 25 years ago that, that a third of young kids now graduating college think socialism is a good idea, you'd be shocked. And I, I, I struggle sometimes, and I, 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 get, I get challenged because if I, I say this, that every man and woman in this country needs to serve. You don't have to be in uniform. There are opportunities, if, and I think there should be a mandatory service, be it a Peace Corps, America Corps, or the military. 
a two-year commitment, and then if they do two years, they get they get their batch their their associates pay for the two-year associates pay for. They do four years in the military, you get the GI Bill, then you get your college paid for. We really should have a national service because I think if people go out and start living in other communities around the country, uh, maybe economically depressed, or go go see the world and go live in a socialist country, for God's sake, there are there are those countries. Look at Venezuela. Look at Cuba, and then go see and then come back. And and again, there are, you know, I, I've seen problems with this country. Don't get me wrong, but I really wish that every American get the, could get the opportunity to truly spend some time overseas and really see how the other world, the other half of the world lives. And, um, you know, it, it, this is the greatest country with all of our faults and all of our, uh, our sins and, and blisters that we have and warts and blisters we have in this nation. Hands down, this is an, the most amazing country, the most amazing experience. And it is about, uh, you know, our, our democracy and, and what we stand for. And, uh, you know, and uh, but I at the end of the day, America will always rise to the challenge. And the generation that came in the military post nine eleven, they're still doing it today. So I still have hope. It is discouraging sometimes, but I just need to be around many young men and women in uniform, which I'm doing here this drill weekend, uh, to to be reminded that you know we still have a lot of great young men and women that are going to are willing to answer the call in their local communities as teachers, law enforcement, cops, what have you. But uh, you know, go out and serve others, and you'll get a better appreciation for just how wonderful this country is. We're visiting this morning with Dan O'Shea. He's a former commander in the Navy SEAL teams for 25 years, and he's also uh, a founder of the Tampa Bay Frogman Swim to benefit the Navy SEAL Foundation. I've talked a lot on this show, and he actually yesterday talked with uh, Halloran Hill on his show about the power of giving. Later in the show, we're going to get into the Navy SEAL Foundation and what they do. It's pretty remarkable and about how Dan started and why he started this swim. When we come back, however, we'll get a little bit into Bud's training and some of his Dan's experience. He played a direct role in every major international kidnapping incident in Iraq from 2004 to 2006. They averaged more than 40 per month at one point. Unbelievable. So in our next segment, we're going to get into some of that, at least whatever Dan's comfortable talking about. So don't go away as you listen to More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Carry on my wayward son There'll be peace when you are done Lay your weary You are listening to More Living with Jim Brogan. During the week, Jim is a financial advisor, an author and speaker with an MBA from the University of Tennessee who specializes in helping people in or near retirement plan for the next phase of their lives. You can reach Brogan Financial during the week at 865-862-6800 or on the web at broganfinancial.com. And now, here's Senior Market Advisor Magazine's 2011 National Advisor of the Year and host of More Living, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm Jim Brogan, your host, and we're visiting with Dan O'Shea. Dan is a former commander in the Navy SEAL teams. He also helped found the Tampa Bay Frogman Swim, which is how I met Dan 
and actually met Dan through Eric Smith, who also swims every year in the Tampa Bay Frogman. Eric is my new chief operating officer, moved he and his family up from Tampa. He's with us in studio as well. And Dan, let's talk real briefly about the about Bud's training and about some of your experiences in the seals you know we've all most of us have seen you know there was the documentary that was done years ago that kind of brought a lot of that to light Um, i've had the good fortune of actually being able to visit the naval special warfare command in at coronada and kind of get a little bit of a tour Uh, it's not really open to the public i've had the good fortune of being able to do that it's pretty uh, gives me chills just i'm getting goosebumps just just thinking about it because of what you had to endure to go through that but is there something you would share that maybe people don't really truly understand or is it just i, I guess the fact it's it everything i've it, seals i've talked to it's it talk a lot about how it's more it's even more about mental toughness even more so than it is physical toughness can you just touch on especially that first part of training where they're trying to break you of course well the one thing that uh you know, the, the age-old military training, you line up in a, and you look to your left, your right, and the, the instructor says, ladies and gentlemen, the man to your left, the man to your right, is not going to be here when six months from now. And, and, and in large part, the average BUDS class has 100 and, and my class had about 130-odd guys class up, and we graduated 31 originals uh, six months later. So the attrition rate is roughly 75%, 80%. So almost every third man isn't going to graduate, and you never know who's going to make it. And I remember at our class-up party, I, I literally showed up at Bud's, and two, ten days later, we, we classed up, went right in. So I really didn't know most of the 120-odd guys. But one guy in particular was a young kid from the Deep South. He had a, you know, he had a southern accent. He, he, was, he was overweight. He, he, he literally, you know, was the one guy that the military you call the fat body, if you will. And, you, you know, and everyone else at Bud's pretty much shows up with a six-pack and really good running shape, PT shape, what have you. This guy didn't seem to have it, and literally, I remember sitting there at the class-up party. A guy looks at me and says, that guy's not class enough, is he? And I go, yeah, can you believe it? Everyone thinks he'll be the first guy to go. Long story, sure enough, Monday morning, when the, the, the training starts, you hear an instructor, you know, we're doing push-ups on the, on the grinder, and you, you were at the compound, right? The grinder where they have the little duck feet. You, you witnessed that very yes. training part, and that's been in the, the Discovery Channel series you're talking about. It was class 234, I believe. And there it is on the grinder. We're doing push-ups, and, and right away you hear instructors in the back going, yelling at this student, saying, "Man, you you fat sob, you can't do this proper sit-ups. Go hit the surf." So sure enough, this kid started. He was the first guy to get sent to the surf, and he literally got sent to the surf five times a day because he could never keep up with the rest, requisite push-ups, sit-ups, whatever we were doing, and he became a target. And the instructors pinged on him relentlessly. They were like sharks blood in the water. And somehow that kid, he just, every time they yelled at him and called him out of shape and overweight and fat, he, he just goes, who yeah, Instructor Jones? And then ran to the surf and always had this goofy grin on his, on his face. And I'll tell you, my, my opinion on this training, this student changed a one day on a long sand run going south to the you know Mexican border, one of those long afternoon, two, three-hour runs, and uh, they do these runs to break you, and they try, and if you couldn't maintain the pack, and those that fell out were going to end up being gooned, and I was a really strong runner. And the only time, um, you know, but, but ultimately, guys would start falling out of the platoon on the run, and officers in particular, you know, how we were trained at the academy, we'd always go back and try and help guys. We'd, we'd try and push guys. We'd try and encourage guys. And you'd go back, and some guys would give you an extra 
put out for 100 yards, 200 yards, and then they'd slowly just quit on you. And they, they'd give up, and then you'd go back and not get gooned. You never wanted to get gooned. So if they couldn't hang with the pack, you just let them fall off, and, and then you try and survive for yourself at that point. But the only time that I went back to help someone, and Burton was a much bigger guy than me, he was struggling, and I said, come on, Burton, you got this. And that guy starts putting out, and even though he couldn't maintain the pace, he was given 110%. And I, it's the only time I stayed with a guy the whole way. We, we, I got gooned. The only time I ever got gooned on a run in training was to go back and, and, and keep Daniel encouraged, this guy Burton, Daniel Burton. And here's the irony. Not only did Daniel make it through uh, all the way up through Hell Week, and when we were losing guys like left and right, uh, towards the end of Hell Week, there's a famous evolution called the lion's lope. It's this rope you go across, and it's it's epic because it's over this mud pit. And some of the most iconic photos of the Bud's trainees on this evolution are in this pit, this mud pit. And we had, I think, 50. We started Bud's Hell Week with 59 guys. I think we lost like six. So we had we had most of our class. But of the 50 odd guys still left in training at the end of Hell Week on that day, it was like the last day, one of the last days of training. There were only two guys in our class that made it all the way across that rope, one of whom was an All-American gymnast. He's a, he's a one-star admiral now, and he's a, a classmate of mine from Annapolis um, and still on active duty. I won't mention his name. But uh, the only other guy in the class to make it across that rope was Daniel Burton, who fell off the top rope, was in the bottom rope, completely submerged under the nastiest muddy water, and he went arm over arm up to the other side. And I tell you what, it was the most inspiring thing. I'll never forget it because my whole class – was so inspired by this guy's heroics, and he just he had that never quit attitude. And then when they, when when you hear talk to the team guy, yeah, Buzz is tough physically. You got to be mentally tough, but it's it's your attitude. And I tell you, Burton is now a good friend. We ride Harley's together. We're in a, a Frogman motorcycle club, and reconnected with him. He still got that goofy smile, and he still got that Southern accent. Um, but he's you know, and he he, he served you know many years in the teams and other, doing doing other work as well for the country. And uh, he just, it, to me, epitomizes that attitude. Never, You can never look at someone and think because they're too short, too tall, too fat, too whatever, that they're not going to make it, that they don't have the fire in their gut to get through the hardest training, military training in the world. And they, I, I always share that story with people who think, well, I don't know if I can make it through buds, or I can't do this. And I'm like, well, if you think you can't, well, you can't. But if you think you can, you will. And that's that's the thing about Buzz. It is. It's about attitude is everything, and uh, you can never look to your left or right and figure out who's going to be there. But if you have questions of yourself, and you're probably not going to be the one standing there at the finish. That's a, the Dan. That is an amazing story, and I bet some of those guys with six packs and that were all cut up and incredible. I bet a lot of them were some of the ones that rung out. Absolutely. Yeah. We had a guy in the National Water Polo Championship team. The guy looked like a frogman. He, he was, you know, six foot four, uh, phenomenal swimmer. Couldn't run. He could not run. He had shin splints, and but he, he he was in training for two weeks. He didn't even make it that week. I mean, we, we we've had Olympians that have come through training that have quit. Professional athletes, former NFL football players that, that show up and can't make it. But then again, like I said, frogmen come in all shapes and sizes, from five yeah. foot five, five foot three. Up to six foot five, and everything in between, and um, uh, it's uh, it is mental attitude more than anything else that gets someone through SEAL training or any training pipeline that's tough. Ranger school, uh, Q course for the Green Berets, MARSOC training for the Marines, so um, PJs and, and combat controllers from the Air Force. I mean, all these training pipelines are tough. 
every one of them are, are very tough. And it, and every one of them will tell you it takes fire in the gut to get through any arduous training pipeline program anywhere in the U.S. military. Yeah, that's a that's or an world for that matter. That's an amazing story. Now, Dan, you you manage the interagency coordination of more than three hundred kidnapping incidents and played a direct role in every major international kidnapping incident in Iraq from 2004 to 2006. And when you first arrived, it was aver- they were averaging 40 per month, and by the end of your service, it was in single digits. Can you talk just briefly about that experience and what that was like serving overseas and dealing with those kidnaps and you're you're also an islam extremist uh, subject matter expert so can you just talk a little bit about that whole experience yeah i don't know if we got uh, do we have seven hours for this well, how, much, how much time do we have in this interview <laughs> <laughs> i'm kidding it, it, i'm an irishman and i take a short story and make it long but uh I'll try i've got man, i've got it. a good bit of irish blood in me too actually <laughs> from both of my grandfathers but anyway go ahead so real quick, um, another lesson, and I encourage all the listeners out there, go Google this story called Message to Garcia. Message to Garcia was the first lesson, reading lesson, we got at the Naval Academy. In fact, a couple hours after getting my head shaved, we were taken into an auditorium and told this story about um, during the turn of the Spanish-American War was about to kick off, the U.S. was trying to get an urgent message to this rebel leader uh, down in Cuba, and his name was Garcia. And they said, we must get this message to Garcia. Who can deliver this message? And someone piped up, well, there's this West Point grad named Captain Rowan. He can deliver the message. So Captain Rowan was summoned in front of the Pentagon War War Department officials. They turned to him and said, this message must be delivered to Garcia. He said, he saluted, grabbed the satchel, grabbed the message bag, said, yes, sir, turned and left the building. And then jumped on a train, went down to Florida, got a boat. Got off the coast of Cuba, swam across. Two weeks, you know, a couple weeks later, comes out the backside, gets another boat, gets back to Florida, gets back on a train, and like three months after giving the mission, reports back to the War Department. Message delivered, and that message was the essence of what every successful man or woman in the military understands that when you're given a job, go go execute, go figure it out. As in, don't ask who's Garcia, where's Garcia. When it, when your superiors give you a mission, you have the self fortitude and the self-worth to basically get the damn job done. And that's essentially, I was trained for that day going back to my first day in Annapolis and everything I did in the SEAL teams. Because when I showed up in Iraq in 2004, I was there for what was supposed to be only four months. I was doing an interagency job. I wasn't even doing a SEAL job. I was doing interagency coordination between the, 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 the FBI, the intelligence community, the special ops community, and, and well, not really, the, the military and, uh, and the State Department. It was really just working interagency issues. But day one, I show up, and ambassador looks at me and goes, hey, we've got this kidnapping. You're a Navy SEAL. Go call your friends. We need, to, we need you to figure this out. And that's what essentially happened is I formed a working group, called it the Hostage Working Group. I brought in smarter people from, from around the interagency, from across everything, from the intelligence community to the special ops to the rest, started sharing information, and then ultimately started going after this scourge because the month I got there, July of 2004, there were 30 international kidnappings. So every day my phone is ringing with a kidnapping case. Then it went to 43, and then ultimately 54. Actually, we had 54 kidnappings in, I believe, September of 2004. So literally every day it was we, it, we were getting one kidnapping and then two kidnapping reports a day, and then there were other cases we never even could track because the local problem of kidnappings were in tens of thousands. But ultimately, like, again, the adage of how do you eat an elephant? 
one bite at a time. And ultimately, I defined the mission for the hospital working group. I, I de- de- you know, wrote the mission statement, wrote specified implied tasks, and came up with our mission priorities. And our priorities for the hospital working group are very simple. Number one, rescue recovery of hostages. Number two, bring those responsible to justice. And three, um, prevent these kidnappings from happening again. Get the word out. And, and ultimately, over my two-year tour, we went from having a kidnapping a day, two to three kidnappings a day, down to the last two months of my tour. We had one kidnapping in March and one kidnapping in April of 2006. So one kidnapping in the entire month. And, uh, the, you know, the it, it took a long time. And I honestly didn't realize at the end of two years where you're working seven days a week, 20-hour days, um, very few successes, uh, seemingly. There was a lot of days ended. There were a lot of, a lot of, I woke up every day watching beheading videos of kidnapped victims from across the spectrum. And, uh, it w- forced me to understand where, where most of the kidnapping victims, frankly, were Iraqis themselves. 80% of kidnapping, 90% of kidnapping victims were fellow Muslims, either Sunni or Shia. Um, it, and I just had to really study the problem set and study who was behind these. And, uh, you know, ultimately, one of the biggest kidnapping rings in Iraq was run by a professor of Islamic studies at Baghdad University. He was literally a college professor. He was a man of the cloth. He was the, the local imam at the Baghdad University mosque. And here it is. He would invite journalists to his meetings to interview him. They'd interview him, and then he'd turn around and have him kidnapped and then ransom him for millions of dollars. So I really was forced to understand the threat, understand a deeper understanding of Islam, and understand why... You know, men of the cloth believed that they were justified in doing the things they were doing, which, you know, one of the challenging things, and, and I live here in Tampa, and I've done a lot of media interviews over the years on the kidnapping and the Islamic threat. And after the Pulse shooting here in, our, in, in Florida a couple of years ago, 2015, the Orlando Club shooting where a, 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 a Muslim man went in and shot up, killed over 50 people, you know, because they supposedly targeting them because they were homosexual. And I got brought in for an interview, and the producer looked at me, and she said, oh, my God, this is what the crazy Muslims think, right? And I said, no, as a matter of fact, Pew Research polling, you know, 9 out of 10 Arab countries, over 90% of Arabs around the world believe that if you are homosexual, then the sentence for you is death. That's in the Quran. This is what they believe. And she looked at me like I was spewing some crazy notion of, like, oh, my God, well, we can't talk about that on camera. And I looked at her and I said, I understand. That's not what the topic of this interview is. It's about, you know, protection in an active shooter situation. But I said, you're in the media. And for the last 15, 14 years since 9-11, you keep pushing the narrative that it's the crazy ones that are doing this. And that sense of complacency that's been pushed out by mainstream media since 9-11 and before, 1979, the overthrow of the American embassy, we fail to acknowledge how much religion plays a role in this terrorism. And again, I say this as someone who's been in the Middle East since 1992. I have many Muslim friends. In my life, I put my life in the hands of some fellow Muslim brothers that kept me alive going after these kidnapping rings. And I had, you know, an Iraqi cop who frankly risked his life more than anyone I know to bring back war hostages, and he's a friend to this day. So I don't say this is a uh, pejorative against the, the Muslim you know, community as a whole, but, you know, when I have honest conversations with my Muslim friends, they, they will admittedly say, absolutely, religion plays a role in it for them. But you can't have that conversation in polite company here in the America because everyone thinks you're being, you know, anti-Islamic, if you will. And it's just you're just stating facts. But unfortunately, in this era of triggered kids who all think socialism is good, they also don't want to be confronted with facts and logic. And that's another big challenge we have is that people need to understand the truth about what this threat is. And I, I worked twenty, you know, I worked two years in Iraq, and I, I, I my, I got a PhD in Islamic terrorism because I had to deal with it on a daily basis. And, uh, um, 
So I, I, that's, that's the challenge we have. Let's be honest about who we're facing, what we're facing, and what their motivators are. Because you, never, you rarely ever hear that conversation at the strategic level. Name the last time a president or anyone else made an honest, made an honest statement about you know, what, what just happened in Pensacola uh, this past week. You know, the shooting at a Navy base by a fellow Saudi air, you know, pilot going through fight school. Um, and I guarantee you, you'll never hear it publicly, but religion was the driver for him to do what he did. And that's just the sad reality, but we don't want to talk about it because it, quote, going to make people uncomfortable. We're visiting with Dan O'Shea. He's former commander of the Navy SEAL teams, uh, been an expert hostage, uh, Islamic terrorism, all these things. When we come back, I, I, we're going to talk about... What led to starting the Tampa Bay Frogman Swim? It's a rather interesting story. And the Navy SEAL Foundation particularly, what they do to help the families of SEALs that have been killed in action. Um, I think as a, as a society, we've got to do a better job at honoring our veterans and, and helping families of veterans who have paid the ultimate sacrifice for our country. So we're going to have more with Dan about that. Also, I'm going to have my dollars and cents segment why this is the most challenging environment retirees have ever retired into and what are the four things that must be addressed to be successful. So don't go away as you listen to More Living with Jim Brogan only on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. And from now on These eyes will not be blinded by light. From now on Let's wait until tomorrow starts tonight, tonight, and let this promise in me start like an anthem in my heart from now on, from now on. Through his weekly radio show, television news appearances, and adult education classes taught at the University of Tennessee and Pellissippi State Community College. Jim taps into his extensive knowledge and experience to address issues important to living your best retirement. Join Jim every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. here on Newstalk 98.7 WOKI and visit him online at broganfinancial.com. And now, here's the host of More Living, Jim Brogan. Thank you for tuning in this morning to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm your host, Jim Brogan, and we've been visiting with Dan O'Shea, former Navy SEAL commander, founder of the Tampa Bay Frogman Swim, which benefits the Navy SEAL Foundation. I've also got my good friend and my chief operating officer, Eric Smith, in studio with me as we do the, we met through the Frogman Swim. Uh, Before we get back to Dan, however, it is time for Dollars and Cents. Want to be sure you are getting the most out of your retirement? For all the years of your retirement? That's the primary goal of More Living with Jim Brogan and our Dollars and Cents segment, where we provide you with an important financial tip that will help positively impact the quality of your life in retirement. And now, here's Jim with this week's Dollars and Cents tip. I believe this is the most challenging market environment to tr- to retire into that we've ever faced, certainly since 1900. I, I guess you could argue, you know, if you retired in the late 20s, 
knowing what eventually happened might have been more challenging. But it's extremely, certainly since World War II, this is the most challenging environment. Why is that? What What are the four major things you need to be addressing? I believe you can have a successful financial plan as you retire today. But remember, a financial plan is comprehensive. It's not just about how do you invest your money. That's an investment plan. That's merely one piece of a financial plan. A financial plan looks at what's the greatest how do you achieve the outcome you desire? What gives you the greatest likelihood to meet your goals? What are the major risks to those outcomes that you desire? And how do you create a plan to mitigate those risks? So these four things must be addressed. One, financial market exposure, especially in the stock market. You know, we're at, we're in the longest bull market run in history. Uh, that doesn't mean it's going to end next month or next quarter or even next year. Bull markets do not die of old age. They die because of fundamental issues. However, it's naive to think we won't at some point certainly in the next four or five years, more than likely, and probably sooner, see a bear market. How long has it been since you assess the actual risk in your portfolio and your exposure to those risks, especially in the stock market, both here and internationally? So reassessing the risk in your portfolio and making sure that that's acceptable and that you can afford that kind of risk as you get closer to or into retirement. Number two, the danger of shrinking income. We're in a very low interest rate environment. This may be the single biggest challenge today is this low interest rate environment. It makes traditional fixed rate alternate things like traditional bonds very, very uh, dangerous if you overexpose yourself to those asset classes. So looking at alternatives to traditional bonds to protect money but provide good income in the longer term in what's going to be a very challenging bond market. Uh, number three, political turmoil. We've we, The first part of this show, we talked about a th- third of graduating college students believe socialism could be a good thing. We have... Uh, tremendous political turmoil that could could royal markets. Um, now, don't overreact to that. Uh, markets are friendly to a divided government where one branch, you know, one party has the presidency, another party has at least one of the houses of Congress. Uh, but there is a lot of political uncertainty in the 2020 elections. There's a lot of progressive types of tax uh, policy and proposals coming from the from many in the Democratic Party, higher tax price, prices to higher taxes, lower stock prices, and an economic slowdown are increasingly weighty in the world of retirement planning. So you have to be aware of how things are evolving with policy changes. And then number four, how are you going to handle things with your kids? You know, we talk about this some on this show, but how you leave money to your kids and how you have conversations with your kids about money. And I know a lot of you may be thinking, well, I don't really, it's not a big goal of mine to leave a lot of money to your kids, but you also don't want to run out of money and you don't know when you're going to die. So, and people are living longer and longer lives. You've got to be prepared to have money last until maybe 95 years old or even later. So, what types of how have you raised your kids and what types of conversations have you had with them because you don't want to ruin their lives or your grandkids' lives because they don't know how to handle money and have a proper relationship between money and life. 
So in a good financial plan, you've, there's many, many more things. But these four things in this market environment have got to be addressed. That's our Dollars and Cents segment for this week. You can find this week's Dollars and Cents segment and others by visiting BroganFinancial.com. Check us out online on BroganFinancial.com. You can also come up, find out about my upcoming college classes. My next one is January the 30th and February 6th at the University of Tennessee downtown. If you're retired or getting near retirement, this class is for you. You can go to FinancialSurvivalForRetirement.com to download a, a syllabus and click to register if you'd like. I'd love to see you there. You can get my full class schedule at my website at broganfinancial.com. We're going to get to our final break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Tampa Bay Frogman Swim, which Dan O'Shea helped start, and also the importance of the Navy SEAL Foundation and what it does as we visit with Dan O'Shea, former uh, commander of the Navy SEAL teams. Don't go away. This is More Living with Jim Brogan on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Listen to your heart when he's calling for you. Listen to your heart. There's nothing else you can do. I don't know where you're going and I don't know why. But listen to your heart Thank you for listening to More Living with Jim Brogan. If you miss any of today's show or want to listen to it again, visit BroganFinancial.com where you can access the podcast and other educational materials to help you in your journey through retirement. And now, here's Senior Market Advisor Magazine's 2011 National Advisor of the Year and host of More Living, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKIs. we visit with former Navy SEAL Commander Dan O'Shea. And Dan, let's talk first about the Navy SEAL Foundation. It's amazing the things the foundation does uh, to support families in the Naval Special Warfare community. Can you give us a little bit about what the Navy SEAL Foundation does and how important it is? Absolutely. The Navy SEAL Foundation is a one of many uh, foundation, uh, uh, charities that focuses specifically for the Naval Special Warfare SEAL community. Essentially, every uh, every family that's been directly impacted post 9/11, with their their father, son, nephew, uh, dad, brother serving in the teams, either if they're killed or wounded in training. The foundation comes in and provides a, a whole range of services for these families. Um, everything from you know financial resources to setting up everything. I mean, I had a dear friend of mine, uh, um, Tom Walsh, uh, went through training at the same time as me, and he, he was like me, a reservist. He was back on orders at SOCOM, Navy captain. This was only a couple years ago. He uh, had a mole checked out, thinking it was nothing. Turns out he had stage 3 uh, skin cancer. They got it excised, they treated it, and then all of a sudden it came back within three months, and, and he was given stage four and given basically months to live, you know, three, three to six months. And the foundation picked up, not only was everything picked up from the college accounts, the college uh, was picked up by the Navy, the Special Operations War Foundation picked up the, the, the cost of college. The foundation came and took care of the family, put them up in a hotel here in Tampa, and virtually that's what they do. They We've had... North of 150 odd guys, um, seals, guys, former seals still serving in the fight, have been killed post 9/11. 
and the impact on, these, uh, on what happened to these families just is huge, catastrophic. And the foundation is virtually, they're virtually on, they're, they're right there at, at your door taking care of these families for everything from financial concerns. And, and, and as we've grown, I think the biggest part and the challenge for these people is when, you know, a day like the Frogman Swimmer, we honor these guys, or Veterans Day, or, or their, the anniversary of the day they were killed or their birthday, that's sometimes when you, you remember and reflect on that you know, teammate of yours who was killed. But for these families, for the Gold Stars, that's every day. They live with it every day. And what we've been able to do in partnership with the foundation is not only put our, our money at a great cause, because virtually everyone on the Frogman Swim, they're all volunteers, and the foundation, I think it's 93 cents of every dollar donated goes to the cause it, it claims to serve. And a lot of other charities out there are, are virtually self-looking ice cream cones that keep running commercials, but 90% of the money raised doesn't go to the designated charity. And that's not the case with the Navy. That's Field right. Foundation. They're they're rated four-star. Yeah, they're rated four-star by Charity Navigator, which is the highest rating. They have a perfect score of 100. Um, that's something very important to me with any charities that we get involved with, that I get involved with. They're very, again, 94. It's been as high as 95 cents on the dollar go, go specifically to benefit the families. I know a couple of years ago, Dan, the, one, the, the, uh, the former SEAL that I swam for, uh, this was maybe three or four years ago, um, was actually in that helicopter that was uh, shot down that was like a couple of months after Osama bin Laden was assassinated. There were 30 officers killed, I think 21, 22 Navy SEALs on SEAL Team 6. He had a kid, back, he, he, his, his wife was pregnant with their first child back home. And I was told that the, that the, Navy, special, the, the Navy SEAL Foundation would support that family and that child all the way through to high school graduation. Just unbelievable. Um, Dan, it, can, it is. It, it is amazing what they do. And that was Extortion 17, and I had some friends on that helicopter. So, uh, you know, that's what that's what's so unique about the swim, and that's why I think that, uh, you know, if you would have told us that we were going to do a swim across Tampa Bay and then raise millions of dollars, you, it, it, you'd be, it'd be crazy because, you know, you got these cancer runs and whatnot with thousands of runners. And they don't touch what we bring in every year for the swim. It's it's incredible, but it's incredible because everyone who swims like you and, and, and Greg, you do it and you get to know who you're swimming for. You It becomes a personal connection. So for all the gold stars, and we bring a lot of gold stars down for, to, to be there at the swim, and as you know, you were standing there at the finish when a gold star family came up to you and put that Oh, put the medal around. It's around unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, and it, but it's that personal connection to the swim because when you push out your story – share that personal story about why am I doing this? I'm doing this on behalf of one of America's finest, a guy who answered that call and has spent, I mean, being a SEAL, it's, it's a commitment. It's a calling. And, you know, we sign up. We accept that when we do the things we do in training and on deployments that we may not come home. But our families really don't sign up for it. I, I mean, the wives, to a certain extent, yes, because they don't really have a choice if they want to stay married. But the kids, they don't, you know, they don't sign up for their dad to be gone. 24-7, and I, I have teammates that did 20-plus deployments post-9-11 over a decade, like nonstop and in combat zones. I mean, these are the guys that are taking the fight to the enemy every night, and we owe them. This nation owes. They're in a, they're in a you know, I love every man and woman that serves, but it, it, those of us who've been downrange know what the guys at, at, at the teams, and I, I say this across off for my Ranger buddies and my Green Beret peers as well, because it's across the spectrum that the, the, 
the nation's warriors that literally go out and do these deployments nonstop, all they want to know is that if I don't come home, that my family's going to be taken care of. And frankly, in the past, that wasn't always the case if you didn't have the insurance policy or SGOI or then your financial planning. But thank God we have Americans that stand up and actually go above and beyond. Organizations like the Navy SEAL Fund, it's, it's just as important. If we can transition a little bit to how the swim got off the ground, uh, literally, uh, I've been mentoring young men anytime I get the opportunity. And I came back from my first deployment in Iraq and was invited to speak at a, an event here in St. Petersburg, Tampa Bay. And at the end of it, a young mom brought her son up who was in a little sea cadet uniform and said, my son, young, my son Samuel wants to be a Navy SEAL one day. And I looked at this young kid, and I looked at him and said, son, what are you doing to get ready? Because, you know, he, he was short, a little bit overweight, um, kind of bulging out of his, you know, little sea cadet uniform. And I asked him what he was doing to get ready to be a SEAL, and he said, PlayStation, Call of Duty, meaning video games, right? And I looked oh, wow. at him and I said, son, you know, that's hmm. not going to cut the mustard. You need to get involved in sports, soccer, you know, track and family, AOSO soccer, what have you. I, I literally gave him a little pep talk and gave him my card and, Put my email, add my email address on, and I'm thinking that this kid would be in my life now for the next, you know, now 15 plus years. And that's a young kid who did everything I told him to do, just like me at Annapolis, getting ready for buds. I told this kid the things he needed to do to get ready to be a SEAL, and that kid changed his life. And that kid, over the next four or five years, grew up, got rid of the baby, you know, the baby fat he still had on him when he was about 12, got into high school, got on the swim program. And then read every book I could in my library on the SEALs or special operations. And ultimately, when he was getting ready to apply to the Naval Academy, my alma mater, uh, the night of his interview, or the night we were prepping his interview, that weekend he'd heard about a, a SEAL that stepped on a landmine. Uh, a, a Lieutenant Dan Tanoffson, a.k.a. Lieutenant Dan, you know, Gary Sinise character. And just like Gary Sinise, he lost both his legs stepping on a landmine in Afghanistan. And there was a small little blurb in the news about this Navy SEAL being wounded. And Sam just turned to me and said, well, Dan, why don't I swim across Tampa Bay and raise awareness on behalf of this fallen seal? And yeah, I thought, oh, hey, God, that's a great idea. Hey, Dan, we're out of time. And that's, how it, and that's how it got started. And then Eric and I met five years ago. We got started. Hey, if you want to know more about what Eric and I are doing, we're trying to raise money. We're trying to raise $100,000 to benefit the Navy SEAL Foundation, you can go to crowdrise.com forward slash Team Tennessee. So again, it's crowdrise.com forward slash Team Tennessee. You can find out all about our team, what we're doing, who all's involved. It's how Eric and I met. I moved now, moved him. I mean, talk about a profound impact. I moved him to Knoxville to, to Run, help run my operations at Brogan Financial. But we'd love for you to learn more about it. $25 gift even would be tremendous. Uh, just anything at all you can do to benefit the Navy SEAL Foundation. Dan O'Shea, our guest, former Navy SEAL commander. Dan, thank you so much for your service to this country, and I look forward to seeing you again here in four weeks. Thank you for tuning in to the More Living with Jim Brogan, only on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.